0: Welcome to Paul and Ben, the Injury Men. Um, We're back for today's episode after a bit of a break. We've been getting to grips with life post-lockdown. And now where we're at is obviously entering Tier 2 and Tier 3 in some parts of the country. Um, But we're not going to mention all that business today. We're we're talking about cricket injuries. Uh, Both of us have experience in this area. And I was lucky enough to work with England cricket this summer, and I've been with Surrey Cricket and the Southeast Stars for the last four years. And we, this is not necessarily a, a podcast just for people who are interested in cricket, um, although it will be if you are interested in cricket, but it, it gives a little bit of insight into how we assess, what we treat, a little bit of knowledge about back pain, shoulder pain, um, strength and conditioning as well and uh, all things physio, so um, enjoy. Welcome back to uh, another episode or (laughs) podcast version or whatever we're calling it now of Paul and Ben the Injury Men. It's been a little while. We've um, obviously come through and ended the lockdown now. We were busily recording over Zoom as a way of keeping in contact with each other. Um, how are you doing, Paul? How's things going?
1: No, not too bad. I mean, yeah, everything's shut down again in London in terms of Covid, but, but no, work's know work's been good. No, I mean, and also like my uni stuff has been completely shut down as well, which is annoying. But but no, work works works are positive. Yes. How about you?
0: Yeah, everything's been really busy. Uh, busy with our clinic, we've both been keeping busy on that. And um, I guess it's making me realise now that we only really record podcasts when we go into uh, tighter measures or when we. <laughs> So I'll see. I'll see you next pandemic. Yeah, that's a signal for
1: lockdown, isn't it? Yeah. I mean,
0: yeah. If we release an episode, then that means that uh, the, the measures are tightening. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we shouldn't joke. <laughs> um, so we've got a, we've got a slightly different podcast version today. Um, Paul's going to ask me some questions because um, today is going to be on cricketing injuries. Uh, both of us actually have experience within cricket. Uh, Paul did a little bit of time at um, in
1: Essex, didn't you? Yeah, a little bit of time at Essex Cricket Club, and then a little bit at Surrey. And knowing that you've been, yeah, you've been at Surrey for a while now, haven't you? Yeah, it's about four or five years now. Been yeah. working with um, Surrey, and
0: um, and then looking after the the women's teams there. Um, which has been great. We really enjoyed it Um, and we've we've had some great achievements in that time too. So um, I think it'd be good to kind of go ahead and we can crack on and hopefully what this episode will give um, anyone who's interested in cricket is maybe a bit of background around sort of how and why injuries occur and then um, a bit of what you can do to prevent them um, and also treat them. So yeah, if you've got a Question, Paul. That's far away. Let's get cracking. I'm feeling a bit nervous.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, with the IPL being on as well, it just made me sort of want some cricketer stuff. So, my question is: When you've got a player with low back pain, and there uh, is sort of a new onset, what signs or symptoms would suggest to you that they should either continue playing or rest, and sort of one look into things further?
0: yeah that is uh, that is a big question um there, there's obviously a lot around that i think you've got to look at both the sort of what we would say intrinsic and extrinsic factors as to whether someone might be predisposed to something a bit more serious from back pain um obviously the big thing we're thinking about when someone's got back pain and they might be a bowler for instance is ruling out anything a bit more severe that's going to keep them out of the game for a long time. And that would be um, to do with the pars interarticularis area, which is obviously an area between the facet joints in the lower back. Um, often that will present on the opposite side to the bowling arm. So if they're a right-handed bowler, Um, it will often be the left lower side of the back that they might get start to get symptoms it might just be painful it might be restrictive They might get a little bit weak which might be pain inhibition in that area Um, it's not exclusive to the opposite side though it does happen on the same side as the bowling arm too Um, that would be sort of one thing we'd be looking for if someone came into my uh, clinic or as one of my players and they were presenting with that sort of initial just like retelling of of where their pain is and their site of pain um that would be something that i would be um, interested in obviously from there um it's going to be a question of going through a thorough assessment Um, so a couple of things that i would look at more physically might be is it painful into extension so that extension is when they're leaning back Um, you can do like a single leg Um, extension test as well which can can be obviously all of those sorts of physio tests can be low in terms of sensitivity and specificity but it all builds a bit of a clinical picture Um, obviously if they've got pain through their bowling action uh, that would be one thing I'd be looking at Um, and then in terms of uh, other things it might be muscular tightness you might find sort of little trigger points like areas that have kind of got into a bit of spasm around it to protect that area. Um, and just as I said, inhibition in, in certain muscles, like the glutes and certain areas of the back and the trunk too. Um, those would be my sort of first sort of things coming back to what I was saying about sort of internal and external factors or intrinsic and extrinsic factors. What would concern me is someone who might be a little bit younger, they're a younger bowler. Um, who might have a little bit more of a more juvenile training age in terms of their one of the big things is like strength so if if, if someone doesn't have good strength combined with technical efficiency particularly bowlers um, that would be a risk factor within itself and that's more of a, one of those internal risk factors um, that doesn't it's not exclusive to strength it might be flexibility uh, might be balance it might be looking at their general biomechanics Um, and then more specifically looking around sort of the hips, there's been some good papers showing that if people have got bowlers, have got a reduced amount of internal rotation or total rotation of the hip, um, that can predispose them to having some of those sort of stress related or, um, bony stress injuries. Um, and then same again with hamstring flexibility. So hamstring flexibility, obviously, getting through that bowling action. If it, if that's reduced, um, that can have an impact on then putting more stress through that part of the back. Um, so yeah, there's there is a lot to it, um, but I think just ruling out anything more serious probably needs a bit of more of a a combined approach. If if at the club, obviously, we're lucky enough to have. Um, access to sports medicine doctors and scans and insurance, things like that. So you'd want to, if I was concerned with some of those signs and symptoms that I'd said, um, then I think looking at the right scan to rule out anything more serious, um, like a stress fracture, like I mentioned, is the most important thing. Um, Now, I think the second part of your question was, when should they bowl again? Was that it?
1: Yeah, it's more so... You're talking about if it's quite a traumatic event, so they're, they're bowled a lot and um, maybe they're relatively young and they've got a new onset of lower back pain that's quite focal to a point sort of thing. And then a few of the tests show that was showed that compared to, say, if, we, if it was then, say, someone who wasn't a bowler and it wasn't as clear cut and they might have a back niggle because we know that back pain in general a lot of times is quite non-specific so less about structural pathology and associated with other stuff would it be more that with a bowler you would be more on edge and probably go for tests quicker just because of the nature of the action and the repetitiveness of the extension compared to say if it was a batsman or just a wicketkeeper.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think I think the skill aspect is the biggest risk factor. Forty-one um, percent of all cricket injuries um, happen during bowling, um, and spe- especially when it comes to fast bowling, just due to the nature of the the high load biomechanical action that goes through the spine. So. It is that extension, it's that lateral flexion, and then that rotation through the action um, that would really concern me in terms of back pain, and that's why it's, it is really important to rule those things out. And although, as physios, we're always trying to say, don't send people for scans, I think that would really—that's always something that you need to be really mindful of. There's a—there's a, there's a paper. Sorry to interrupt you. There's a really interesting paper that actually talks about like bowling and the natural selection of bowlers. So a lot of the people that have come through into the elite game, loads of people drop out of playing cricket, especially like fast bowling because they have an injury. Um, So actually the people that that I've got to see um, in the elite game are actually going to be naturally more robust than recreational cricketers. So it is one of those things that other physios, if they are listening to this, should be mindful of in terms of like if that skill aspect as we're saying is an identifiable kind of cause for concern in terms of thinking about pars defects that then they need do need to refer onwards
1: because i know a few years ago that everyone was trying to prevent sort of stress fractures in bowlers so like with jimmy anderson how they tried to change his action a little bit mm. and now he's sort of gone back to how he was but is there any difference between if you're quite a side-on bowler or sort of a chest-on bowler? Or is it more about, ha- make sure that your, your legs and your shoulders are pointing in the same direction, irrespective of what it is, rather than like a crossover sort of action?
0: The, um, it's a great, that's a great point. Um, the ECB released some directives on all sorts of things related to bowling. Now going into like the minutiae of like the bowling action, that's like, yeah, I, we need to get a bowling coach on and, and things like that. But in terms of answering what you're saying about front on, side on, they say that it's fine to be both, fine to be one or the other. But it's when those actions are sort of combined that it's a bit of a risk yeah. factor. Um, front on's fine, side on's fine. It, it is just about making sure that it's not a mixture of the two, as that that's when it gets a bit dangerous. Then looking at into the detail a bit more, then it might be a question of, is Jimmy Anderson as that example strong enough? Is he or flexible enough? Is he, is he balanced enough? Has he got good technical efficiency within his action? Um, and then they all come the biggest things in terms of the risk factors are the external factors. So um, that might be like their workload management. Um, has he Has he had a massive spike in workloads? Um things like that. That's what it then comes more down to. Um, but I think we've digressed a little bit there from what you said about that's that's the more serious structural pathology, like looking at the worst case scenario for the PARS defect. But when it comes to someone who's not a bowler, like a batter or a spin bowler or a, a wicket keeper, um, although you would treat it with a high degree of suspicion always, um, due to the nature of throwing as well it's just not the re- the same amount of repetitions that they go through as a, as a bowler might do so um, in that case what you what you want to clear is you, you obviously want the back to become quiet and settled through our normal methods of, of treatment and assessment um, and then create some objective markers that they they need to hit um, and then making sure that that kind of so objective markers for people that don't know are like Um, not just going on like pain, for instance, pain is subjective and that they give a score to us or or will ask us how their pain is doing, but looking at what their range of motion is like, um, looking at how they're moving, the quality of their movement. um, And then it would be whether they can implement their skill and giving them a graded return into play, making sure that you don't get that boom and bust situation and that they build things up um, fairly slowly.
1: Does that... That so, so again making sure you've got your basic fundamental capacities built so they have adequate range of motion in all joints they have adequate strength they have adequate power yeah. to then do the capacity because do you find i've yeah do you find that people tend to go for technical stuff first rather than sort of your strength and conditioning principles so you might be technically proficient but you haven't got the muscle strength or power to do that but if you just change the strength and power it probably corrects you can then cope with that technical yeah um, action that you have compared to oh there's a bit of a technical thing um like in other sports as well so you go you go for that whereas actually it could be that you haven't got the hip internal rotation so you're going into that Yep. Yeah. Um, but like just that comprehensive, it's just like most stuff, isn't it? You just comprehensively condition everything.
0: Yeah.
1: And you tweak on top rather than tweak in first. Yeah.
0: And yeah. 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 I think you nailed it when you said the word capacity. It was, it's just a question of if they've got the capacity and, and the tolerance and the robustness, then that's going to improve their technical efficiency. And a good example of that was there was, when I was covering some of the England, stuff training this summer um one of the players was having some shoulder pain now to look at it um really not much to identify through our normal assessment um, but they ended up going back up to um the main training hub and going through some video analysis and and actually the advice that came back was yeah, there's, there's not much going on there. There's, there's a few things that, that needed some really minor details around the, the sort of the, the collarbone and like some really minute areas of tightness and things like that. But actually, the advice was you need a more solid base. So when you're throwing the ball, because it was throwing related shoulder pain, um, form a solid base um, and really push through the legs. So take a big step, Trust trust that stopper, that front leg, and then just, just get your action through nice and relaxed. And instead of having a bit of a floppy base, like not having the strength through the legs, because if you'd imagine, if people, people that don't know a, a cricket throw, they might throw him far from the, from the boundary, which is, what could that be? 40, 50 meters, maybe maybe further. Oh, yeah,
1: like eighty yards or something. Yeah,
0: yeah. Like it can be even bigger at times. So that they'll be flinging the ball in at high speed. So if you've got a base that's not very strong and they're in that sort of lunge position, They're going to really try and get through harder with the arm, which can put excessive strain through um, the rotator cuffs and and other structures around the shoulder that have to accelerate and then decelerate it. And and then that can exacerbate symptoms and drive pain. So um, when anything's got a big kinematic sequence like that, is whole body action. You've really got to be strong through multiple planes of movement. That's from the quads first, good stability through the glutes, trunk rotation to create and then resist forces and then coming through finally as, as they bring the arm through. So yeah, it's um, you, although people, I think cricket and cricketers might get a bad rap and they think, Oh, it's an easy sport. If, if someone's standing out there for four or five days and flinging the ball in constantly, there's a lot of force going through the joints and, and the muscles and the tendons there. So they do have to be strong and robust.
1: Yes, I mean, especially the bowlers as well, bowling 25, 30 overs a day. Yeah. So if, you, if you were playing Australia in their pomp, you'd be out there for two days solid. Exactly. I, was saying, I suppose that base of support, you can take that to batting as well, especially with the IPL going on when you're smashing a six. You're not just doing that with your arms. That is, you you can just tell when they're just getting the weight into the ball and then, it's sort of with Jaffer Archer when he's bowling so fast, he's effortless because everything is moving forwards and he has that base, and he can he can attack it from there, sort of thing.
0: Yeah, it's true, and, the, and
1: and what you're saying about
0: yeah, bowling does make up a large proportion of the injuries, um, but there's a lot that I mean, I think it's nearly thirty percent of injuries um are from fielding and wicket keeping but then we have to differentiate between contact and non-contact so a lot of some of the fielding injuries might be i mean catching if you've ever caught a cricket ball it's bloody hard so you do get fractures of the finger split webbing things like that um that that count as sort of non or contact injuries rather or traumatic injuries Um, but there's also those those sort of shoulder injuries as well as we spoke about Um, yeah, the, the the power comes across the whole sport. And I think, as you said, with the, the onset of T20 and now next year, it's been delayed, um, the 100 competition is going to be and I think that sort of power and intensity increases in those tournaments because they're shorter, sharper, and there's more need for entertaining sport where they're hitting boundaries or they're bowling fast balls in shorter spells. So I think the, the demands of cricketers as athletes is only going to increase
1: Um so again, just comprehensive capacity, well conditioning of everything, getting your range of motion, getting your strength, getting your power, and then you're knowing that any technical change is then going to have more bang for your buck. Yeah, and hopefully, prolonged careers. What what advice would you give to so sort of, there's like younger players in terms of workloads for bowlers?
0: It, it, become, it becomes very specific when you get into looking at the ECB directive, so I, w- I would kind of point them towards those, and they're easy to find online. Um, there's four main areas. If, we th- if we're if we thinking about fast bowlers specifically, again, because that's the majority, there's obviously over bowling. So uh, as you said, so that's a workload management thing, and, and that kind of goes through the age groups. There's specific requirements. So for instance, for an under-18, under-19 um, bowler the max overs per session might be seven overs per spell Um, and then they might have a max overs of about 18 overs per day I think it is Um, and then there'll be more specific guidelines for practice sessions as well but over bowling is obviously only one part of it as we said Um, there's coming back to that point a little bit to, to give some general advice there is obviously those principles and guidance around that a seven day period, a fast bowler should not really bowl more than four days in that period and never for more than a maximum of two days in a row. Um, that's that's the most general guidance that there is. But then obviously we can go on to look at things like technique and the physical preparation, of, as we've said. And then there's also the aspect of um, sort of surfaces um, and equipment. So you want to be thinking about specifically through the winter, For younger players, they they often are encouraged to not bowl as often as they do in the summer. Um, There's a number of reasons for that. Not only the forces um, that they might have to withstand, um, and it might give them a little bit of a rest from sort of the high forces that they might experience through that bowling action in the summer. There's obviously the kind of over-specialisation aspect of it, and it's good to play different sports and get different movement patterns and Um, muscle groups involved in the winter but a lot of it is down to what they what surfaces they might be bowling on because in the bowling action on the front leg it can be up to about 8 times body weight that goes through that front leg as as they come into their bowling action so I think there's a good paper that looks at the ground reaction force, I could be using the wrong terms here but I think I think it is the ground reaction force it's looking at at a test match pitch, and I think it was about thirty four percent at at um um in Nottingham. What's it called there? Trent Bridge. Trent Bridge. That's it. Um, whereas if you have um, a hard indoor surface, it's going to be. Uh, there's going to be a lot more force going through. And this is this is what it is. It's force reduction. I was looking at. So it's thirty-four percent was the force reduction. That's why I knew I was I was looking at the wrong thing. And indoors, there's going to be a naught percent force reduction. I knew it wasn't ground action force. Um, so therefore, it's going to be a lot more higher forces going through the body. Um, so it's not going to absorb as, as as much as as it is on outdoor on grass. So that's another thing that needs to be considered in terms of younger. Athletes, it's it's got to be quality training, not quantity. Um, and do consider training on other surfaces.
1: Yeah. And it turns into the bodyline tool when you're bowling indoors as well, where you're trying to knock people's head off all the time. Yeah, I mean it's even a spinner will like try and bounce you out. (laughs) Yeah, I mean it's great fun, but (laughs) in terms
0: of what we have to think about physios, it's uh (laughs) yeah, but there's other things that they can do, and and coaches are very good at this, so they, they they do put Turf out like indoor turf, like rollout mats and things like that, and and if you have um, a turf, sort of kind of a fake turf on an indoor surface, it can improve that force reduction by up to about sort of fifteen percent, which obviously makes a big difference if we're thinking about lower limb injuries mm-hmm. and uh, back injuries and things like that, um, and obviously we we, we want to be preventing things like stress fractures of the feet as well uh, metatarsal things like that and obviously that could be um that could be a big problem when it comes to training indoors too so there, there is a lot to think about and i know it's it sounds wishy-washy when you can't give too many like general guidelines on workloads and workload management but it really does need to be sort of a, a kind of multi-approach to it yeah think about everything and that was the main four points as i said was like the over bowling technique physical prep and then equipment and sort of surfaces.
1: Cool. No, that sounds good, mate. You, you've answered my question fully. I'm happy. Good. How is is there anything more you want to add? Yeah, I think just in terms
0: of if there are any cricketers or young cricketers out there, and we have sort of spoken about a few things around this, um, but if they're, if they're here to sort of find out a bit more where cricketers get injured or, or where sort of the top level um, athletes might get injured in the body, the most sort of commonplace that we'd expect injuries is in, still in the lower limb. Although we've talked a little bit more detail about back injuries, I think it's nearly 50% of all injuries are, are in the lower limb. Um, and that's mainly the hamstring and quad. Um, that is often due to bowling and fielding, because obviously there's a lot of Um, high intensity units in terms of sprints things like that for a bowler and a fielder so when they're chasing a ball Um, so that could guide you in terms of reducing the effect of um, those non-contact injuries would be train the hamstrings and quads (laughs) get get yourself good capacity build that up Um, a little bit if you if you're lucky enough to have access to a good coach um, or a, a good sort of training coach or, or SNC coach, and then they can work on your running mechanics and things like that. Again, that's the technical aspect of running, and that, that has an impact on reducing um, injuries and things like that. Um, so the 20 back injuries only make up sort of about 23% of injuries. And then, as, as I mentioned, there's 23% is then upper limb injuries, which is the shoulder. We've not really spoken much about the shoulder, um, but obviously there's loads of aches and pains that, that cricketers do get in and around the shoulder. I spoke a little bit about having a solid base and getting strong through the legs, but also making sure you've got good preparation for, for the shoulders is, is important too. So strengthening up in as many planes and movements as possible. Um, one really good one for sort of advice for young athletes would be the kind of exercise like a face pull, um, that exercise is really important for throwing because if you, if you don't know what that exercise is, you have a little Google, but imagine you're either using cables or a band and you pull up towards in line with your, where your face is. It's not necessarily that backwards movement that's the important one. It's actually when you bring the hands back to their starting position with the arms fully extended because what that's doing is decelerating the arm and the upper limb Now that's very similar to to throwing. It's not just about creating that force. It's about if your shoulder's strong enough and you want to reduce the chance of getting things like posterior shoulder pain, it's that decelerating the force. Because if you're trying to fling a ball at like 70, 80 miles an hour or whatever it is, it's a heck of a lot to slow the arm down as well as create that force. Um, It's like the the old saying, when we come to um, like the lower limb, we can work on our power, Um, And that's like improving the accelerator, but there's no point in having that if you haven't got the brakes on like on a car. So you've got to be able to accelerate. You also have to be able to decelerate. So it's working, again, those antagonistic muscle groups, the front and the back equally. So that type of exercise can be really beneficial in
1: reducing shoulder pain. Yeah, I suppose that's similar for your sort of a low back, trying to get your strength, where you sort of want to train your, your low back extensors to sort of fight against that forward motion. Yep. So I know a test that I, I use quite common, that Sorensen endurance test, where they're sort of bent over bent over a plinth, and then they've arched their back up and they've just got to hold a horizontal position for however long. But um, is there exercises you'd suggest for building up their low back strength as well in a similar way?
0: Well, I, I think that for, for younger or even older cricketers, you may have neglected their physical Uh, capacity even if you don't don't have access to loads of equipment even just your basic plank side plank is going to build up some level of endurance in those paraspinals Um, it's the ability to withstand resisting extension Um, that's really important and then obviously lateral flexion with the side plank Um, if you're lucky enough to have access to like a GHR like a glute ham raise machine in the gym you can do some great exercises on there like some of those back extensions or you can do lateral flexions you can then get into all sorts of interesting rotational movements um one really important or well, two really important ones that you could do if you have access to bands is a paloff press so paloff press is when you're in a squat position you have your arms um holding a band that's attached to the side that say to your left side you move laterally away from that to the side and then you press your arms straight forward what you'll feel is the tension on the band and as you're doing that you're withstanding rotation so as you extend the arms out that is an anti-rotation exercise you can also do that with extending your arms over your head and that's an anti-lateral flexion so let's think about those fast bowling movements that extension that lateral flexion, that rotation, if you're able to withstand those forces within the trunk as, the, as well as create them. So then you might do a, a horizontal rotation. So you might re- do those resisted movements like the pallet press, and then you might create rotation. Um, it's obviously all these are, that we're speaking in very much generalities and they've got to be programmed properly. And, but even doing them with your normal sort of um, movement prep uh, or a warm up is a good idea. So um, I think those are just a few examples there of of some good trunk ones, but there's loads and there's loads you can do. Yeah,
1: that sounds good. Nice demos as well, if you're watching this on YouTube, maybe if I upload it. Yeah. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Hopefully you don't. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But there's
0: there's there's loads of similarities between kind of um, other sports as well. Like if you look at anything with cricket, specifically if you look at baseball there's a lot of research and evidence out there from baseball if you look at javelin throwers and other overhead um athletes there's there's loads of interesting crossovers in that aspect and the key thing is is management of workload and strength it's i, I wish i could say that it's there's some really like new fangled fad things that are important but it just always comes down to those basics and 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 hopefully if um even if people are playing recreationally as long as they can put those um, management of those basics in place um then they can reduce their chances of getting cricketing injury um
1: oh yeah and it's always it's always the basics for everything isn't it but the basics are always going to be boring as well you're never going to be thrilled to do them yeah but yeah it's just that bit of conditioning that bit of just doing a bit more than what you're doing is going to reduce your risk to what you are at the moment. So yeah, uh, anything's better than, yeah, anything more is good.
0: Yeah. And there's always, and even, there's always limitations to what we're saying, like the, the performance aspect of strength and conditioning. Now that will be into the realms of a cricket specialist strength and conditioning coach. Like there's limitations to my understanding as well. Obviously I know a lot about the, sort of um nature of how where and why we get injuries and the assessment and treatment of those but then at some point you hand over to a more performance specialist who gets people ready for um the high level demands of elite cricket but um yeah that's uh, maybe we could get a specialist on for another podcast in the future to expand on what we've said today
1: oh yeah well we'll try and do a few more regular ones of stuff so yeah different sports and different joints and stuff like that yeah sounds good all
0: right i enjoyed that it was nice to talk about cricket even though it's raining outside and we never would be able to get some yeah
1: it's miserable isn't it and i um, no, thank thanks for the well i'll thank myself for the question <laughs> yeah. so I'll, put, I'll give myself a pat on the back. and uh no thanks yeah that, that was a good one mate so basically yeah we're we're back in the zone of doing these podcasts. So if people have any questions, fitness, sport related, injuries, nutrition, yeah, just fire away. You can go to uh, email us directly at injurymen at gmail.com or reach us out on our social media platforms. We're on Instagram and Twitter. We're at injury underscore men. And or you can sort of reach us both directly. Um, as well and um, via our sort of clinical website at info at and also there's a form on our website so if you type in bfrphysio.com slash podcast it will take you to a contact form to sort of go there uh, and I'll just wrap up with saying yeah thanks again mate and yeah this episode was produced by bfr physiotherapy clinic and graphic design was by victoria higgins and Stay safe everyone and we'll speak soon.